In our series, Following Jesus, we're now looking at just a brief overview of relationships and what's at the heart of our relationships. We all need relationships. We all need love. We all need care. We all need family. We all need community. We're created as social beings. That's just who we are. That's just the way we are. Do you ever notice that even though sometimes we sometimes become recluses and we've had maybe bad experiences being in company, but sometimes when we're in a crowd, when we're in a group, there's a sort of a joy, there's an automatic smile seems to come on our faces. We just somehow like to be with people. We are relational Beings, we are relational people. There's an anticipation of joy or expectation when we go into a crowd or a, a, a group of people who we know and feel at home with, whether that's in a church, in a, in a family gathering, or in a football stadium. We just can't put our finger on it exactly, but there's something about having a sense of belonging, sense of gathering, a sense of unity. We need relationships. We know certainly when people who are loved ones are away for a while and then return, there's joy when they come back. We look forward to meeting up with them again. Their hugs and smiles. Love is in the air in so many places. We, that is how we are. That's what we need And thankfully, there is an awful lot of that in the world. It's not a perfect world, but God has blessed us with so many good relationships. Not all relationships are perfect, but so many are a blessing to us. One of the most popular songs, at least one of the most moving songs, is Louis Armstrong's What a Wonderful World. He describes not only the beauty of creation, in fact, it's more about creation than love, but it all adds together and he sees trees of green, red roses too. He talks about the colour of the rainbow in the sky. and But through it comes those words. I see friends shaking hands saying, how do you do? They're really saying, I love you. And that's just a little glimpse into the world of relationships that that, that song hints of. It brought many tears to people's eyes when it was part of the soundtrack to Toy Story. (laughs) But yet, life doesn't always work out as well as that. In real life, our relationships, as well as being blessed at times, at other times they turn out to be painful. They can be destructive. They can be harmful. I'm sure that we can all think of people who we have had difficult relationships with, people whose lives aren't characterised by kindness and love. Some are, some people are so kind and, and generous, it's, it's just a pleasure to be with them. But others are selfish, cruel, even abusive. <coughs> 
People's tender hearts, their young minds have been let down, harmed even, traumatized. And for some people, the world isn't always as wonderful as the song makes out. So much so that in the film Good Morning Vietnam, that song is played in the, as the soundtrack in the background while what you see in the, the images are the images of war, the images of oppression, the images of unrest and killing. This is a world where on the one hand we have signs of God's blessings, we have signs of hope, and on the other hand we've got quite the opposite. And in each of our lives we experience both of these things. And yet for too many people, their lives are characterized more by the brokenness of the world rather than the blessings of the world. Rihanna sang the song, We Find Love. The chorus goes, We Find Love in a Hopeless Place. And for many people, that's their approach to life, looking for love in a hopeless or a fallen, a broken world. Without getting into the controversies of the video. (laughs) Or why she chose to film it in Belfast. (laughs) Um, I think the words, we find love in a hopeless place, reflect the the aspirations of many, many people in this world. It's It's a broken place, even a hopeless place at times. And people are searching to find love, to find something that will keep them going. In a world where there's too often a sea of hopeless places, people are looking for islands of of hope, islands of love, islands of help, of good relationships, of loving relationships. And so when we look at the reality of life, what we see is a few things, that we crave love and kindness from others in community and family, between couples, in in many different situations. We need love. We can't live without it. We long for it. We long for loving relationships with others. And the second thing is that alongside some good, at times really good relationships, there is the brokenness in this world. We need good relationships, but there is the brokenness and hurt. People are too often starved of the love that they need. And as a result, sadly, too many people seek love in the wrong places. They settle for alternatives, imperfect relationships, destructive relationships. They search for pleasure in other things instead. They turn to drugs or alcohol or they base their lives on things which do not fulfill. Sometimes they just get confused and disorientated about who they are and what they need. Sometimes people become bitter, unforgiving and unloving to others in return. That's life. But what can we do about it? What does the Bible teach us? What, how can we help in that situation? How can we get our need for love satisfied without making things worse by causing more harm and hurt 
for ourselves and others or settling for wrong alternatives. To answer that question, we see four things. We'll look at them briefly. We can't, you could, you could do a whole series of sermons on this whole topic. But this is more just a pointer in the right direction. But we can see that what our relationships ideally should look like from God's perspective. We can see different ways in which sin distorts our relationships. We can see how living godly lives results in being blessed or at least avoiding harm. And we can see that in all of this, we need Jesus to experience real love in difficult situations, to know God's love for us here and now, as well as to know the promise that is ahead where there will be perfect love, no more broken relationships, no more dysfunctional relationships, no more harm, no more abuse, no more tears. The first thing we can see is God's intention for relationships. God created us to live in a world where we love each other as well as love God. In fact, loving each other, which is so often our emphasis on loving God as a second thought, a distant one at times for too many people. Loving God actually comes first. And we, we're told to love him with all our heart, mind, soul and strength And secondly, to love our neighbours as ourselves. So we love people out of love for God, out of obedience to God. God is love. And perfect love existed between the Father, Son and Holy Spirit before, before we came on the scene, before humanity was created. The Father loved the Son and the Spirit. The Son loved the, the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit loved the Son and the Father And God was perfectly complete in a loving relationship within the Godhead, within the Trinity. It's not as though God is lonely and heaven and he needs us to make him feel fulfilled. He is perfectly fulfilled and complete in a loving relationship within himself. It's us who need him to be fulfilled. God's intention for us is that he didn't leave us on our our own to figure out how we ought to live together, but he's given us his word. He's given us frameworks for relationships, boundaries, safe zones, exclusion zones. He gave us families, he gave us friends, he gave us communities, he's given us nations, and he's given us the church as well. Within those boundaries, within God's word, Sex ought to need to be between a married man and a woman, a husband and a wife. And that's a creation order. That's not just a cultural thing that was relevant 4,000 years ago or 2,000 years ago and is out of date today. That's, that transcends culture. That's the way we are created. Sex between two males or two females is forbidden, not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New and it's not something which is irrelevant today because we've moved on. Public opinion might have moved on, but the truths of God, the way we are created, his plan for our lives hasn't. He's created us biological males and females with all the positives and differences that that includes. We complement each other 
we are equal before God as those who are different and complement each other. So in terms of marriage, sex ought only to be ought only to be in a marriage, and children are sometimes a gift from God within a marriage. You can have a family that doesn't have children and it can be a complete and fulfilled family. Adam and Eve were perfectly fulfilled before children came along. But where marriages are blessed with children, they ought to be brought up in a loving, caring family. And God's given us guidance as to how to have stable, loving relationships and families. Husbands ought to love their wives as themselves, to put their wives first. And wives ought to respect and follow the lead of their husbands. If it was the other way around in the Bible, I would be saying that. And children ought to respect and obey their parents in the Lord as they give godly example and discipline to them. These are God's plans, God's boundaries for relationships. And families are the building block of community, of society. And as we relate within the family, children to parents, so also we relate through those in authority in society. We ought to obey them as long as they're doing what is right and good. That's what God's plan is. But it doesn't always work out like that. In reality, sin distorts our relationships. When sin came into the world, the first thing it did was to break our relationship with God. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve hid from God instead of walking in fellowship with him each day. When challenged, their relationship together was distorted. They were broken up. They blamed each other. This blame game, it's her fault. It's his fault. Things have gone downhill from there. Paul summarizes the fall and the effect of sin in our lives. The way it has affected not just our relationships, but our very thinking as well. In in Romans chapter 1, he says sin has affected three things. Our hearts, our passions, our desires, and our minds. Sin affects our hearts. Therefore God, after people had rejected God and turned away from him, persistently doing that, God has let us go in the direction we've chosen. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. God gave us up. Again, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the woman exchanged natural relations with, for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men. These are examples of how our passions and desires are not what God had intended. It's not the only focus, it's just an extreme example of how our passions and desires have turned from what they ought to have been. But Paul reserves his his main focus for how our minds have become distorted. Sin affects our minds. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God... Paul says, for the third time, God gave them up to the best mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, 
covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Paul here in Romans 1 is describing the worst of people. This isn't typical of everybody. This is the worst of society. He's describing the, the extreme end. But too often we find that this is too much of a reality in our own lives. We know people who are like this. We see something of this in our own lives ourselves to some degree. Three times we read that God gave us up to debased hearts, passions and minds because we rejected him. And that is crucial if we want to understand our hearts, our desires, if we want to understand who we are, we need to realize that our our hearts, our passions and our minds are, are distorted. They're not following the ways they ought to have followed before God. We're tempted to, by our sinful desires to be unfaithful, to be selfish, to be abusive, and much worse. We're tempted to, to look for sex in the wrong partners, whether it's outside marriage or of the opposite sex. We're, we're tempted to, to be adulterous. We're tempted in all different ways. These temptations are not sinful in themselves, though. And there are many godly men and women, even many pastors and Christian workers who are attempted to adultery or even same-sex attraction. And these things do not disqualify them from ministry. These things aren't sins in themselves. Jesus suffered and was tempted in all the ways that we are, and yet he did not sin. And it's okay to have same-sex attraction, but not follow it and there's some good writers Sam Albury is one who who write about the struggles of of obeying God's word and living fulfilled lives there's, there's many who have done that <coughs> we can get confused about our sexual orientation as well about our gender all kinds of things and we can think that because we feel something, that must be who we are. But if we, if we went with our feelings in everything, we would end up in some awful places. If we said everything we might feel, we'd end up with a lot of broken or upset relationships. If we followed everything we felt, every temptation we felt, we would get ourselves into all kinds of problems. The important thing here is that how we think, what our desires are, what our passions are, are not what they ought to be. And so if we follow or think that who we are is based upon how we feel, then we're following a distorted view of what we ought to be. But instead, godly living results in blessing. Or at least at a minimum, it minimizes the harm that sin brings in our lives. Just because we feel something doesn't make it right. It's often been thought, 
and so many people are living by it that if two people are wanting to have sex together outside of marriage, you think, well, it just feels so good. How can something that feels so good be so wrong? But we shouldn't go how we feel. God has given us good desires, but he says we ought to have them within marriage. Within marriage, when children result from that, they're in a safe place. That's a safe place for that. That's a safe place to have that commitment. Relationships which aren't formally married are far more likely to break up. When we base our lives on our feelings, we end up in all kinds of problems. We covet things that aren't ours. We do things to to get things the way we ought not to. We end up in all kinds of situations that can affect our lives for years. And yet we so often fail to understand that our lives are not meant to be centered around feeling good or looking for pleasure. Our lives are meant to be centered around obeying God. And once we're obeying God, that is when joy and lasting peace actually follows. If we if we chase desires, pleasures, feelings, that can lead us into all kinds of situations. But if we follow God in his ways, that will bring us into lasting blessings. That's what we're created for. Our social contract with God is that we receive blessings, but we are meant to be obedient to him. And yet we want the blessings and to go our own way. Living according to God's ways means that the elderly are cared for. The single people are not marginalized. Children are loved and brought up in safe places. Ethnic minorities are not suffering racism. And those who are struggling with same-sex attraction, those who are struggling with temptation, those who are finding the temptations of life too much for them, they find a safe place within church. Instead of people experiencing judgmentalism and discrimination, they find grace and kindness, mercy from God, and they should find it from his people, from us as well. When people follow their own hearts, their own feelings, they end up in all kinds of situations that are destructive. And sadly, people bear the consequences of that. There's a a very good book, a very short book, but a really good book, don't follow your heart. It's well worth a read. Let me just read a couple of paragraphs from the introduction to it. This is a book to help you with heart problems. Because your biggest problems in life are heart problems. And they often occur because you begin to follow your heart's direction rather than to direct your heart. So this book is to help you to be wise and to, to direct your heart in the way, as Proverbs 29 or 23, verse 19 says. God considered David a man after his own heart 
1 Samuel 13, 14. Stephen gave us insight into what God meant when he said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will, Acts 13, 22. What qualified David to be king was that he followed God's heart. And when he did, he did very well. But when David didn't follow God's heart, he didn't do well. When David followed his own heart, he was on the way to slaughter Nabal and his household. And only Abigail's quick thinking and wise intervention saved David from this blood guilt in 1 Samuel 25. When David followed his heart, he slept with Bathsheba, robbing her of her chastity and Uriah of his wife and life. He committed murder too, 2 Samuel 11. And he brought devastating evil into his own household as a result, 2 Samuel 12. When David followed his own heart, he took a census that God said not to take. And it resulted in 70,000 deaths, 1 Chronicles 21. The Bible is full of examples that warn us not to follow our hearts. When Moses followed his heart, he killed an Egyptian, Exodus 2. He faithlessly struck the rock, Numbers 20. And when Balaam followed his own heart, he was rebuked by a donkey, as we read in Numbers 22. When Nebuchadnezzar followed his heart, he ended up eating grass like an ox. He lost his mind, Daniel 4. When Haman followed his heart, he ended up hanging from the gallows that he had built, Esther 7. And when the disciples followed their hearts, they argued over who was the greatest, Luke chapter 9, and in terror abandoned Jesus in Gethsemane, Matthew 26. When Ananias and Sapphira followed their hearts, they lied to the Holy Spirit and they dropped dead when challenged in Acts chapter 5. The Bible is clear. We must follow God's heart, not our own. Today, following God's heart means to follow Jesus, which means dying to our fallen heart's desires and losing our lives in order to find them. Matthew sixteen twenty four to 25. We need to follow not our own hearts, but we need to follow God's heart. We need to follow his ways to be blessed to be a blessing to others. We need to follow Jesus. If we want to be able to cope with the, the brokenness of this world, if we want to be able to cope with the brokenness in our own lives, we need Jesus. Paul tells us in Romans 13, Oh, no one anything except to love one another, each other. For the one who loves and Another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments say, you shall not murder, or you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarrelling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh 
to gratify its desires. Make no provision for that sinful nature of the flesh to gratify its desires because the desires of the sinful nature are sinful. We don't realize it at times. But in order to be able to live lives which are blessed, we need Jesus. Because without him we can't do anything different than follow the the flesh. We need Jesus. Not only do we need him as an example as to how to be patient and kind and loving and generous and obedient to God, we need him for the forgiveness of our sins. He died on the cross so that our unfaithfulness, so that our selfishness, so that our giving in to temptation in so many different ways is forgiven, completely forgiven as as Isaiah tells us, as God tells us in Isaiah 1, even though our sins were like scarlet, red as scarlet, bright shining before us, they will be as white as snow, as if we'd never sinned. And when we trust in Jesus, we are forgiven as if we had never sinned. We become a new person who is accepted, adopted into God's family, righteous, justified. We need Jesus for our forgiveness, for our justification. We need him for our holiness, for our sanctification. We need the power of the Spirit to change our hearts so that we will have the distortion of sin changed so that we can walk straight ahead before God, that we will have the spiritual strength to resist and to choose God's ways. We need the Word of God, the Creator's handbook to guide our lives. We need the grace of God in all situations to to help us cope with broken relationships, to help us restore relationships, to help heal our hearts, to help us find joy in Him rather than in the things that we used to look for joy in. We need Jesus to be our new standard, our new role model, our strength and our righteousness. And we need Jesus to have a restored relationship with the Father. We look forward to the full blessing of what Jesus has promised for us, what God has promised us in Christ Jesus, where there will be a day when we stand before him and there will be no more sin or sorrow. There'll be no more racism. There'll be no more discrimination. There'll be no more unfaithfulness. But as we journey until then, as we follow Jesus, we need to, we need him as our shepherd. We need to follow him. We need him to protect and guide us and to lead us to our eternal home. If we find Jesus, let's stick close to him. Let's receive the forgiveness for our sins over and over again. Let's walk in the newness of life that comes by his spirit. If we haven't already found him, let's turn to him because he is the one we need. No one or nothing else will help. We need simply to turn to him and confess our sin God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And he gives us his spirit to change us. He gives us 
a new relationship with the Father where we are accepted. If we don't follow him, the path that we're on leads to judgment and condemnation, eternal condemnation. We need Jesus not simply to live a better life now. We need Jesus if we're to avoid eternal suffering, punishment for our sin. We need Jesus to be guaranteed that eternal life, that joy that is offered to us. We praise God that he loves us and he gave us his son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And that eternal life begins even now, even here and now, when we walk in the life of the Spirit. So we thank God that the relationships we need, he can help us cope with the broken relationships. He can help help us be the kind of person who has such relationships with others to be more loving, to be more kind, to be more like Jesus. So let's, when we see the brokenness of the world around us, when we see how it affects our own lives, let's turn to Jesus for hope, for help, for forgiveness for ourselves and for forgiveness towards others who have harmed and hurt us. And let's thank God for what we have in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you came into the brokenness of this world and you took our humanity on yourself and you redeemed it. And you were the first person to never sin. We thank you that you've pioneered that way for us and that we can walk in your footsteps, that we can have relationships which are not distorted by sin because of what you have done for us. We thank you that by the power of your spirit we can be the people we ought to be. Lord, help us to set our minds on the things of the spirit rather than the things of the sinful nature and help us to walk in the spirit. We thank you, Father, for your great love for us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you have done for us and all that you do for us still. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you renew our hearts and give us the power to be different. We thank you, Father, that you change this broken world one person at a time. Lord, help us to live that changed life, to not only give glory to you, but to have an impact on others as well for the good. In Jesus' name, amen.